Welcome to episode two of Back in Session, a DMGS podcast with your hosts, Ryan Stevens and Ryan Amir. What's going on, Ryan? How are you? Happy Friday. We're recording this on Friday, uh, September 22nd. Well, it's a happy Friday for me. Uh, I'm assuming based on that Giants game last night, it is not a happy Friday for you. <sighs> yeah, it's been it's been a rough, uh, what, 14 hours or so for me. Um, big, big New York Giants fan. Every year, my wife will tell you she gets so annoyed with me because I have Super Bowl aspirations, you know, winning two Super Bowls in my uh young life that that has sort of spoiled me to think that anything can happen but uh yeah yesterday was was not good not that I expected to win but you know it was uh certainly not what I had hoped for so I've sort of been in a a down mood all all Friday well and you mentioned after our, our first episode and for everybody who listened to the first episode thank you thank you for listening to this one uh, because of all of you, our boss has decided that we get to do this for a second time. We'll see if they continue to let us to do it after this episode. <laughs> yes, uh, thank, thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank yeah, you. Everybody who listened to the first episode, our good friend Jerry Woser from the Pennsylvania School Bus Association mentioned that his go-to cheesesteak order is a cheesesteak with mayo. Stevens, I know you said you were going to try that. Did you end up getting one? Yeah, so I I actually forgot about it when, you know, when Jerry mentioned and, and you know, known Jerry a long time, never knew that he put mayonnaise on his cheesesteaks. He's actually Why would he admit that? I can't believe he admitted that to a a group I mean, of listeners, but I mean, I mean, I know this is a, you know, a podcast to talk about policy, but I will bring up uh, mayonnaise a little bit. You know, I am a mayonnaise guy. You know, some people don't like it. Jerry doesn't like it, so I was very surprised to hear that he puts it on his cheesesteak. Anyways, Forgot, totally forgot about it. And then the other day when we were scheduling episode two to record with our guests, which we'll get to in a little bit, uh, I was sitting there and I was hungry for lunch and I thought, you know what, I could really go for a cheesesteak. And then it clicked in my head. I need to try a cheesesteak with mayonnaise before episode two is recorded. So I can confidently report to everybody, um, all of our listeners here that I did try cheesesteak with mayonnaise and it was all right. Was it just mayo? Did you have anything else with it? Well, it was, you know, cheesesteak, onions, uh, whiz. Okay, so there's more than just mayo. So you had whiz so and mayo. Whiz and mayo, and I don't know if it was just a light layer of mayo on the bread. Honestly, didn't really, like, taste it. So I think Jerry kind of hopes for something that was going to be earth-shattering, and, uh, you know, well... Wow. Kind of dis- disappointed. Time, last time we asked Jerry in his cheesesteak opinions, I guess. I don't know if I'm more disappointed in the mayo on a cheesesteak or the New York Giants last night. <laughs> Why not both, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So, but yeah, no, we, we we would like to sincerely thank all of our listeners out there who did tune in for episode one and have been following us online at dmgs.com. You know, we, we've been posting for a while on our blog about different legislative topics and uh, trends going on across the country in different state capitals. So we're glad to to take this from the blog and now and now with the podcast. So appreciate all all of you who tuned in, who are tuning in now. And uh, yeah, I mean we're we're very excited for for the, what the future holds for this podcast. Ryan, this week we had the chance to talk to Caden Land, our colleague from Dwayne Morris Government Strategies, our Ohio uh, director, long career. Ex- legislative experience uh, has also had the opportunity to work with a lot of interesting, I'd say, figures in 
uh, American politics, not just Ohio, but Speaker Boehner, uh, just to name one. So what, what did you think of the conversation? Yeah, I think we had a pretty good conversation with Katie. Obviously, you know Katie very well, working together for the last couple of years here at Dwayne Morris. So it was good to, d- to dive into her background a little bit and talk about some current developments in Ohio with redistricting and then a couple of the ballot referendums that are scheduled to, to appear on November ballots for Ohio residents dealing with abortion and cannabis legalization. So interesting conversation and I uh, hope everybody enjoys. Katie, welcome to Back in Session. Thanks for coming on. We appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Um, before we get into the crux of our discussion, um, what's it like working with the two Ryans here at Dway Morris? Right, Ryan Squared. Um, it's great. You guys are actually really great. I always appreciate fellow campaign people. I think we're just wired the same. I was actually talking to someone yesterday. I look down upon people that don't come from the campaign world because I feel like you just don't have the same work ethic. It's like, would you even drive across the state to pick up yard signs at 3 a.m.? Probably not, <laughs> you know, yeah. and and bring garden gloves because everyone knows that they're, you know, really oily. Like, I just feel like, you know, we're, uh, it's not maybe a positive thing, but we've got a genetic defect in us that we take on a lot of crap. It's a different breed. It's a different breed. That's true. <laughs> I have to say, too, I'm glad that the Ryan Squared thing is catching on. I didn't think that would uh, catch on, but I've had quite a few people refer to us since the first episode is that. Yeah. Yeah. It's great. Makes it easy. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah. No, thanks again, Katie. Uh, just to get us started, do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself, your background, and what you do exactly at Dwayne Morris? Sure. Yeah, I had been with Dwayne Morris um, or the predecessor of Dwayne Morris for 16 years. So born and raised in Western Ohio, very Western Ohio. So pretty rural periphery, you know, Freedom Caucus territory, um, super red, not from a political family at all. My parents actually own an RV dealership. Um, I had a grandma who I've never actually given her proper acknowledgement for this when she was living, but she was like the maybe kind of a feminist a little bit. I mean, she was just very pro-woman. She was widowed early. And so she just forged her way in the world of business. And she was the clerk of courts for our tiny town. But that was my first exposure to this world um, at all. Because again, my my dad, my no one is political um, at all in my family. And so in eighth grade, our school always says the Washington DC trip, went on it and noticed a lot of young people like our age walking around in ties and blazers and just like had access to the house floor. And I was just enamored by it. And I found out about the page program. So I got back and applied for it and um, actually was accepted. Speaker Boehner, before he was speaker, so just Congressman Boehner was our representative at the time. And I think he had some extra pull. And um, so that was like a very deep, deep dive into the deep end. Um, I'm like the middle of five kids and typical forgotten middle child. My parents just dropped me off in Washington, D.C. And like, good luck. We'll see you at the end of the summer. So a lot of culture, like a lot of learning, but you can't gain better experience than that. And so I came back from that just on a political high, got involved in a state rep race, 
in my area. Uh, I think I was like the only loser in my high school that the trunk wasn't filled with like coolers of beer. It was filled with like cool, like boxes of lit. Cause I was always going to like a parade or like stickers. And I mean, I was that person. Um, and the state rep at the time, his name was Keith Faber, very serendipitous. I mean, it's, it's all about kind of, you know, who you're tying your wagons to. And he was very aligned in, you know, my conservative policies and he hasn't actually ever stopped running for another office. So he's our current state auditor. So still a really great public servant, but that's been 25 years. And so he was a Senate president. He um, is actually going to be running for the attorney general. So really great mentor um, of mine. And I worked for him for six or seven years in Columbus, went to Ohio State, was a page actually at the Ohio State House, and then worked for Representative Faber the first time that he was there. Uh, he went on, but I look back at him. I always, like my blood pressure rises like 25 points when I see him. He refers to me by my maiden name. I always feel like I screwed something up on his schedule, but um, he he's a great, great mentor, professional mentor. So um Worked at the Ohio State House for the Ohio House of Representatives and got met my husband and he actually got a job. He's an engineer. He got a job in a steel mill in Western Pennsylvania. And again, maybe, you know, serendipity or coincidence or karma or whatever. But the, we got married in November of 06. And so we were on this big Republican high. And that year, the Democrats just took everything. Um, I think the Republicans won one statewide race but i cared because i love the republican party but i didn't care because i was moving to pennsylvania um so moved over near pittsburgh started working for gsp consulting which eventually became dmgs back in 2007 and i've been with the company ever since so i'm the ohio director and handle all the ohio government affairs accounts um and, and any grassroots activity that we do in the state of Ohio. Do some federal and state and local issues, but I would say primarily state of Ohio is the, the bulk of our um, our accounts. Yeah, and you do stuff outside of Ohio too, right? Yeah, so we got into, and we'll probably talk about this, like multi-state lobbying. So actually that's been fascinating because I guess you just think that every state kind of operates like yours. Um, and now that we've had this, um, this multi-state, some of this multi-state experience, it's so interesting to know that, you know, there are states that truly are only meet like three months every other year, or, you know, it, there's not as much formality. You know, we've been in Indiana and Michigan and just got back from Kentucky, actually this week, Frankfurt, and every state, the culture, the decorum, kind of the expectations, even the access to the members are also wildly different. Uh, we were, I was in Boston over the summer and I would say that was, you know, the far opposite. I don't think I, you know, th that was, you know, very different than Frankfurt. Um, so yeah, have been all over, I would say the Midwest primarily. Um, and so that's been great. And I actually do have just a, a couple of follow-up questions that, really stuck out when you were giving your your intro um so what what one takeaway that i have if this podcast does not work out um what i think i gathered is that we could maybe get a job at the rv dealership 
you know, the camping <laughs> world. So I live in the small town that my parents have this business. And the fascinating part of the RV industry is like the rental aspect of it is really taking off. And it makes so much sense because like someone like me, I don't really want to buy a camper. I don't want to insure a camper. I don't want to store it. So people just rent it. And we've got some really big venues that um, rentals are big on. But when they come back, if it's like a back-to-back -back event, they need them all cleaned. It's essentially like a hotel. And so there have, there have been days this summer where I'm like scrubbing the floors, um, helping them. So I feel like I'm, you know, partly also in that industry. You know, you can moonlight as a janitor for RVs um, is, is what I'm telling you guys. You have a great, bright future there. We appreciate having the uh, the options just in case the podcast fails. <laughs> Ryan, we could, we could take back. the podcast on the road. Get one of the RVs, start a tour. Yes. Now that is a great idea. Yeah. yeah. Except they don't do like motorhomes. And if you even bring up Airstreams, I'm done, you know, because that's just, you know, out of our league. But yeah, I can hook you up with a great pop-up or a travel trailer. No problem. <laughs> well, thanks, Katie. Um, and, and then just just one other question before we can turn things over to the other Ryan. I know he has some questions too, but what was it like working for Speaker Boehner? I have obviously, you know, followed him throughout his career. When I was coming up uh, in my career, he was Speaker. And I, I listened to his audiobook, which was fascinating. And I have a feeling that he was drinking a glass of red wine while he was reading it to me. So what, yeah. what was your experience like? So I knew when he was getting close because I could smell smoke. I mean, he, you know, he just had that lingering, I, I feel like very manly scent to him, but I would be like, I feel like Congressman Boehner is close to me. And I turn around and there he was. And he had that smoky raspy. I mean, he's perfect for that audiobook. Um, and I know there's a lot of different thoughts about him, but he was that last generation of that statesman kind of. And I, I can't even imagine how he would deal being elected with all of the transparency of social media. I mean, that stuff is, that's just not his style. You know, he's going to, wheel and deal and negotiate and get things done. Um, and we're not going to know all the, the details of any of those conversations, but they're going to emerge out of a smoky back room and something's going to be done and progress has been made. And so I think he was a master of that skill. And, you know, I, I know a number of people kind of miss that art of politics that he kind of brought. Yeah, that book, just uh, uh, Echo Stevens' thoughts, was one of the better political memoirs I think I've ever read or listened to in this case. Uh, so if you could get into a little bit about the the landscape in Ohio right now, where we are in the legislative session, any particular issues that have arisen throughout the session or you think maybe coming down the the pike here, the partisan breakdown, I know obviously it's gotten a lot more ruby red, you know, as we'd say over the past few years, but if you could just touch on all that a little bit. Yeah, it has. So in Ohio, we always um, prided ourselves in being so important in all these national elections, bellwether state, you know, where Ohio goes, so goes the rest of the nation. We love, you know, how important we are in all of this stuff. And I would say, I think that's not where we are now. Um, we are a very red state. And I know that the Democrats say that it's all gerrymandered, but you can't gerrymander statewide offices. You can't gerrymander an eight point Trump 
victory in back-to-back -back years. Um, our governor, a Republican for his entire life, Governor DeWine just won with a 60% approval rating. Um, so there are just some compelling facts. There's Democrats in Ohio, of course, but they're just very concentrated. So we'll talk about later, I'm sure we'll get into the redistricting mess that we're in. Uh, but every time I hear that, and, and you know, I try to look at the, the Democrats version of the maps, that's crazy because to, to try to get their proportionality, you know, they're drawing downtown Columbus in with these crazy rural areas because that's what you have to do. Um, that's what they would have to do to try to, to uh, justify their numbers. So very, very red. I think um, President Trump brought in this great sweep um, of traditionally Democratic areas, primarily in Northeast Ohio. So that Steel Belt, Youngstown, through Cleveland, that's just been generationally Democrat, very blue collar, manufacturing heavy, and they've just always voted blue. And President Trump just tapped into something there. And the Mahoning Valley is as red as other parts of the state, which is just going to be a really fascinating component of the 2024 elections with Sherrod Brown, because that's his backyard. Those are his people. Um, but you could have said the same thing about Congressman Tim Ryan, um, you know, two years ago, and that did not pan out well for him against Senator Vance. So I don't know. Um, I still think that the Republicans have a very strong, um, especially the periphery of Ohio, it's going to be very strong. The development of central Ohio with Ohio State and grads maybe relocating and staying there. And then obviously this historic economic deal with Intel that's bringing like Silicon Valley type people to Ohio. I think that might be a, a, a big change that political um, analysts have to consider, you know, what that's doing to Delaware, Licking, Franklin County, um, because those new people moving in are not going to be your traditional uh, plain city type people uh, that have always lived there, raised their kids on a farm. Now it's, you know, a chip manufacturing and all of these people are shipping in from somewhere and they've got much different ideologies than what is there now. Um, but I think that also is going to maybe conflict with what I just said about how strongly I, I feel that the Republicans have a stronghold now because that issue did not go the way that the Republicans thought it would or had hoped it would. Uh, it was issue one. Um, it wasn't supposed to be a partisan issue, but as issues do, they break down into that. And so issue one um, actually got defeated 57 to 43 percent. That would have raised the threshold for future constitutional amendments to 60 percent. And I think there was just mass confusion. It was really rolled out very poorly with timing. And that's not to point fingers at anybody or anything. Um, it was just a colossal a lot of colossal uh, comedy of errors type thing. So um, so that really puts us in a bad position going into November because we've got two very, very progressive statewide ballot initiatives that we'll be voting on. And so if we would have had that 60% buffer, I think most in the GOP would feel much more confident um, in, in, our, in the out outcome. But um, as it is now, I think it's all hands on duck to kind of salvage that those issues. And in Ohio, ballot referendums are through citizen-led initiatives, like gathering signatures. Is that right? 
Yeah, so the signature gathering component, they can actually put up a constitutional amendment. Um, so one is actually a constitutional amendment that's going to like codify and enshrine the right to abortion in the Constitution, in the Ohio Constitution. The other issue, issue two, is a legislative initiative that um, uh, authorizes and legalizes cannabis, marijuana, at the age of 21. So... The first issue is way more permanent, way more. It's it's the retaliation to Roe v. Wade and the heartbeat bill that Ohio had passed. Um, issue two is going to be way different. It's a legislative led initiative. So essentially, it's like a bill that the people of Ohio, uh, this coalition to regulate marijuana like alcohol, that's what they called themselves. Um, they all but offered up their own bill um, and got it put on the ballot through a petition collection system. But part of issue two, so even if that passes and recreational marijuana becomes legal, it's a legislative initiative. So our legislature would still have the final say if they would want to tweak it, if they would want to change it, modify it, whatever, they still could. I think the question is how loudly Ohioans speak on this. You know, if it's a resounding yes on it then I think the legislature is going to say, okay, you know, we're not going to mess with this. The people have spoken, whatever. But if it it ekes out, we know that President Huffman is a very uh, stalwart opponent of legalizing marijuana and Governor DeWine is absolutely uh, not on board. They have immense, they have expressed, and that's why the, the bill hasn't moved in the General Assembly at all, because they just absolutely fundamentally disagree with it. Put on your crystal ball hat. What do you think is going to happen? Any any predictions, bold predictions for how these are going to shake out? I know. I feel like um, I don't want to be too brutally honest, but I, I do think that we're just on, uh, climbing uphill on both. And I think um, there's going to be an immense amount of money and and most political campaigns, you guys get it, whoever spends the most is typically who comes out the victor. And there's just a lot of money on, on the yes side. Um, and there's just some frustration on why we're even in this position on the other side. Um, abortion, you know, where I live, again, kind of periphery of Ohio, um, we are a very, very Catholic, very faithful part of the state. And so, you know, people call us and our candidates and our elected officials one issue Republicans because they run on the pro-life agenda. And so, you know, people in my area of the world can't even fathom anyone actually voting for this because it's a pretty progressive language um, with reproductive rights. You know, it, uh, they claim that you could get an abortion, you know, a day before you're due, uh, third term, all of the, all of the the horrendous, scary parts of this. Um, but I would say in the population centers, abortion is considered a woman's right to choose. It's a medical decision. I, we've seen this played out in other Midwestern Republican states. And, you know, I think the fear is that it's it's going to go the, that way. Um, I do think that the polling on issue two is has been very clear. I think at one point they were 6,000, they were signature short, and I don't, I forget how many, but um, enough that, you know, it would, that would throw off some other statewide campaigns. They would not be able to collect enough to, you know, get back on board. And the coalition to regulate cannabis like alcohol or marijuana like alcohol, they turned around and they submitted like 12 
signatures in like 36 hours or something crazy. Um, Joe, the overwhelming support for this. So um, I know that sheriffs and public safety and specifically like business groups, the Ohio Chamber, the Ohio Manufacturers, and very specifically the Ohio Truckers Association has been very vocal on just what this looks like in terms of workplace safety, um, especially for drivers. You know, there's conflicting federal laws with what would happen here with testing. You know, the testing for cannabis has not really caught up. It's not like alcohol. Um, if there's a big accident on a Monday and your driver shows that there's marijuana in his system, but it, you know, he wasn't considered high. It was you know from fr a Friday night gummy. What does that look like in terms of liability? So I know the trucking association and the trucking industry is really beside themselves on um, how disastrous this could be for them. But I do think, I guess that's like, I don't really want to say it, but I do feel like most at this point feel like um, the the yes side has got the momentum um, and it will be it will be hard to defeat these in key areas. And it'll be all about turnout. Of course. Yeah. So, and, and Ohio has medical marijuana right now, correct? So we're talking recreational. We do. So we've had medical marijuana. So they they actually had a marijuana, uh, the same uh, amendment back in 2015. And Ohioans rejected it. That's eight years ago at 64%. So then at that time, Governor Kasich um actually passed in and allowed medical marijuana. And that the idea was to kind of stave this off, you know, to allow the medical marijuana. There's an argument for that. There's a medical need for that. There's science to back that up. And maybe we can stave these people off for a while. So I guess that worked for eight years and, and here we are again. Um, so our medical marijuana program is pretty restrictive. I think there's a lot of rules and parameters around it. And I think some would say that that's why we're in this position that we are in. Gotcha. And you mentioned it a little bit ago, but redistricting, a lot of states spent a lot of time over the last couple of years redrawing their legislative maps, their congressional maps. And I've seen a lot of stories lately dealing with Ohio and the redistricting uh, that's going on right uh, go, going on in Ohio right now. Can you just touch on the latest updates? I know there were a couple of articles that I've just come across over the last couple of weeks. And what, what's the latest? Yeah, so this has been like a little bit of a nightmare. Um, so Ohio established the Ohio Redistricting Commission. Um, and after the 2020 census, that was the first time that this commission would actually be um, be used. And it's a seven member body, uh, the governor, the auditor, the secretary of state, and then four legislatures, four legislators from each side of the aisle and of the chamber are comprise this commission. And they're supposed to, the idea was they create the maps. It's supposed to be fair. There's an, it's a bipartisan commission. Um, and if you would get bipartisan support, they would be 10 year maps. Um, the train, the wheels fell off the train like first round because I think the Democrats figured it out pretty quickly that if they didn't sign off on it, there wasn't going to be bipartisan support and it just shortens the length of time that those maps are even relevant for. Um, it goes down to like two years. So then you're doing this redistricting every two years. Um, and then that compounded with a very surprising turn of events with our Supreme Court. Again, Republican majority 
the chief justice was a female named Maureen O'Connor. She has now since been termed out and we have a new chief justice, but she was a pretty moderate Republican. And um, I think this just kind of played into our hands and she she was just not having these maps. Um, and so she actually voted with the Democratic members of the Ohio Supreme Court and threw these maps out and ruled them unconstitutional. I think like five times. I actually, uh, it's almost like white noise to me. And when we say some of these words like redistricting and new maps and look at these lines and it's almost like PTSD for Ohioans because it was just such a long and painful process last year and it drug out and it drug out and then maps would be drawn and then the, the courts would rule them unconstitutional and you couldn't even keep up with what map version we were on. So at the end, um, we had to have elections and so we used a version of the maps uh, per the judicial system that they allowed us to, but they said that these cannot be used after. after. That's what the redistricting commission is doing. And they just met for the first time last week. Um, and so we saw the new version of maps. They're now doing kind of this Ohio roadshow where they get public input from um, citizens around the state and so they'll be doing that uh, but there's a pretty hard deadline so um, we hope to have some sort of long-term version of these maps and to kind of end the madness here um, with this last commission um, it didn't start off on a very great foot the very first meeting the governor called it to order and at that point was going to turn it over to the co-chairs um, either President Huffman or Speaker Stevens, and neither could agree who was going to chair it. It was adjourned after like three minutes. So actually, State Auditor Keith Faber is now the co-chair of the commission um, and is running the meeting. So our everyone's hope, knock on wood, I feel like we've said this like 90 times um, in the last year, is that these maps are the, going to be the ones and the ones that have a bipartisan support and that they can be 10-year maps. It may be a pipe dream. I don't know. I think we just want the madness to end. Definitely understand where you're coming from. Pennsylvania, we had maps in place for a number of years. And in 2018, I believe it was, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ruled our maps unconstitutional. So we had new maps for, what, one, one two-year term. And in 2020, obviously, with the census, we had new maps. So uh, certainly no stranger to what you guys are going through. but. Uh, certainly certainly feel for you out there so what's interesting now is that there is a coalition led by former supreme court justice maureen o'connor um that wants to start a citizen-led map making commission so actually the map drawing would come from the public and and they're trying to they, i think they just got their ballot language thrown out by attorney general yost for like the third time but there is a big push to actually dissolve this redistricting commission. Um, it would prohibit elected politicians from serving on it, but it would be like the citizen-led map-making um, group. And I've heard that this might be a national trend. I don't know if you guys are hearing if, if, if this is going on in Pennsylvania or any other state that you've heard. So I think, Pencil I think Pennsylvania over the last few years, and Ryan, correct me if I'm wrong on this, but I do believe that they started to accept recommendations on maps from the public. I don't know if it was a formal commission effort. I, I think 
more of like a citizen-led efforts. I, I think there's been a lot of discussion about that here in Pennsylvania and, and a number of other states, actually. So, Katie, you're right. Uh, we have seen that going on in other states. We've seen some pushback to that idea. And, you know, it just seems to be like a crapshoot at this point in terms of what actually gets passed. Yeah. Yeah, there's, I mean, a lot of opposition to the idea of this because there's corruption in that too, you know, and, and who's drawing these maps. I mean, to your point, uh, Ryan Namara, Ohio had some sort of portal that, oh, like people like you and I. Could go and submit. Yes, but they weren't serious, but it was like a way of saying like, hey, we'd like to see your ideas and they have their own. Yeah, so, so did, another question for you, Katie. So I know we we touched a little bit on how Ohio has moved further, uh, I guess gotten more Republican, especially in presidential elections. Uh, can you talk a little bit about how the state legislature makeup has changed since you first started lobbying compared to what it is now? I mean, I think if they are not at veto-proof majorities, they're pretty close, correct? The Republicans? Both, yeah, super majorities, Um, for sure. I mean, so when I served in the legislature, way closer thresholds, way closer proportionality. Um, And again, I, I, I don't know what was the, like the turning point, but you know, once the, once, because my life has always, Ohio has always just been red. So I know nothing different, but I think when tapping into pockets in Northeast Ohio, that Mahoning Valley, that has been these generationally blue state reps and, and senators, that's when things change because the those pickup numbers are crazy. Uh, those were numbers that no one expected. So we have 33 state senators, and I should know this. I think like 27. Uh, we have 27 of the 33 Republicans, and same type of um, ratio in the House. There's 99 House members, and you know, well over the needed 60%, um, a little bit closer in the House. So I think these new maps are trying to maybe give the Democrats one or two seats back, you know, in terms of, um, you know, drawing them a little bit more competitive districts, but it gets, it gets difficult. And I don't say this, you know, defending the Republicans. I mean, you can only do so much knowing that most liberal Democrats are just concentrated in very key areas of the state. And so you can only, because there's also rules on keeping counties whole as possible. And so you can only cut up downtown Cleveland so many ways um, to give them those Democrat districts. So, you know, Dark County, Mercer County, right now in the foreseeable future, those are never going to, those are never going to go blue. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think abortion in most areas of the state, it's a big issue. Manufacturing, taxes, way of life is also, you know, just big, um, especially more your way, you know, like the the Eastern Ohio. Uh, they're more the Rust Belt. They're the factory kind of downtrodden areas that have been hit hard by recessions. And they loved the message. They really responded well to just that American pride and getting people back to work again. And, um, you know, that... And it's interesting because they are way more pro-union area. And President Trump, for whatever he was just able to, he was able to definitely get through um, to all demographics. 
Yeah, and you and think the, that. Oh, go ahead. And you think that that trickled down ballot as well in, in different oh, races? Sure. Okay. Yeah, I think like um, you know the state reps then would echo those same talking points. It was like, oh my gosh, this, and, and we agree. You know, we this this he's saying, you know, American pride and putting our country first and getting us back to work and fighting against China and they're taking our jobs, all that stuff. That it just rang straight through. Um, and then they started running on the same platforms and using the same campaign rhetoric. So, yeah, not only did it just trickle down, it was like candidates then started running on the the MAGA stuff. Can you touch on, you mentioned it a little earlier, but Ohio, very ruby red, very conservative state, trending even more red, probably. What's it like, with, you know, in your current role with Dwayne Morris when you have to go to another state and that state is, well, every state is different, but in, in certain cases where you go from ruby red Ohio to dark blue Massachusetts, for example, yeah, what's, what, what's that like? I was going to use that as an example because, um, so we were working in Boston and, and having some preliminary meetings with um, some of their state delegates. And we did a tour of their state house to look, and and that state house is absolutely beautiful. And the names, you know, on the ceilings are just like jaw dropping. I mean, they're names straight out of your history books, John Adams, and you know, all of those historically um, prominent names. But then you start. I think we we asked like the makeup of their house, and I think in one chain there's like three. There's three Republicans. And, and I mean, and they're from such rural areas of Massachusetts that I and, and to me, it, it's not laughable because I'm on the flip side of it, but that is a job. I mean, that is a commitment to show up every day knowing that you have no chance of really getting any of your bills done or even coming closely because it's really becoming more of a California, like the liberals versus the progressives, like the Democrats, you know, like the moderates versus the, like, that's really where the fight is. And then these three or four or a handful of Republicans out there, I mean, they're, they're just like, you know, during the session, I mean, what do you do? So um, it, it was interesting to kind of see that. And to also understand, I hate, always like feeling complacent and and feeling like this you know confidence that Ohio is always going to be red because it's shifted and it will shift and the pendulum always swings back so I think it's always that's why I like working in Dwayne Morris on policy things there's typically if you're working on good sound policy you know nothing um super politicized you can work with a lot of members and you know in Massachusetts you know, one of our clients um, works in road safety and, you know, with speeding. Um, and so the biking community and the environmental people really responded well to that because it was taking cars off the, the road and making the streets safer for all of these alternative modes of, of transport. That same stuff doesn't work in Indiana or Ohio or Iowa. But, you know, again, it's, you find points of um, connection and if you're working on good policy and you, you can typically find some sort of angle or perspective to get people to, to work together. And getting to go around two different state capitals, take your personal Ohio bias out of it. What's been your favorite capital city to visit or to work in 
And then what's been your favorite Capitol building? Um, so I feel like I keep going back to Boston because it was like close. I will say Boston was so expensive and not a knock to our guy um, there because he actually warned me. I stupidly, um, what airline did I book into it? It was one of those discount ones, um, but it got canceled. And he told me, he was like, I can't believe that you booked this airline. And so it was like, it was a it was a bad situation. We also got evacuated. There was a fire in the basement of the Boston of the State House that day, and I guess that had never happened. So it was interesting to see the response to it because they thought maybe it was, you know, um, a bomb. And so there were drones, and they evacuated. We had to like leave the area. But that State House is just it's like colonial America, and that whole city is just so steeped in history. Incredible. Uh, so I think you can't, uh, there's nowhere that you can touch that historic, um, those years. And I mean, like the, just really cool. Like the, even the, the years on the buildings are go, you know, even way further than Ohio could. So that was probably a great experience. Um, I think Ohio's state house, you know, we put in millions and millions of dollars, um, 25 years ago to restore it to its original coloring and decor like so all the pinks were very feminine so um, I think our state house is absolutely beautiful and that is taking off my like I, I'm trying to truly be as unbiased as Kentucky so Frankfurt um, so literally there 72 hours ago they are doing reconstruction on their rotunda. And from the outside, it just looks like an incredibly huge rotunda. I mean, like just a really long. I'm like, what does this thing look like from the inside? So we so we went in and see it. And I think I sent you a picture of it. Um, the dimension that that adds, you know, it's not a shallow like dome. It's so steep. Um, that was really cool. So that was that was really pretty. And I will say I am maybe just a simple country girl. There is something to simplicity. And being able to walk into your state capital, your center of government, and not have to park at parking garages and try to figure out and, and jump through all these hoops and security, I can't handle that. Like, I love D.C. as much as the next political hack, but it makes it so difficult. You know, it makes it, you know, standing in line, it's always humid, you go through, it's just a whole thing. Um, and so I love the idea of a surface lot in Frankfurt that you park in, you walk two minutes away and you're in the office that you're supposed to be like, that's nothing beats that. Yeah, no, I, I think we've seen a lot of different state capitals and they're all very different. So, uh, just curious to get your perspective and Boston's definitely on my list now to go visit. Yeah, you need so. to, you love it. You both would. It's just like, man. It's really cool. So I do have one last question for you, Katie. You mentioned you went to Ohio State and this weekend, uh, so we're recording this on Friday, September 22, uh, Notre Dame versus Ohio State. What do you think? This will be released after the game, so we'll see oh. how your predictions uh, line up. What do you, you think is going to happen? I know. And my grandpa is super very, so I'm Catholic. Um, and this whole area is very Catholic. And my brother and my grandpa, I mean, they really rub in the religious guilt, you know, like, you know, you're going to, you're going to root against God 
you're going to, that's what you're going to do. And it's like, oh my gosh. So I'm all Buckeye. That's, is that even supposed, and I'm also a really bad fan. This is more my husband's. We met at Ohio State. We actually met at Ohio State keg line. And he said he was from Sydney, which is 20 minutes from here. And I said, you're from Sydney, Australia? <laughs> is that telling you how far into the night and how many times I had been in that keg line? I thought he was from Australia. And then I tried to backpedal and say, like, I thought I heard an accent. He is an avid. He, he's like a season ticket holder. And he went. He bought these season tickets because the Notre Dame game last year. Um, but, I mean, is it supposed to even be a close game? I don't even know. I'm sorry. But I am always, I've got Ohio State in every game. Well, like. When Notre Dame wins uh, tomorrow, we'll make sure that we have you back on the next episode <laughs> to just say go Irish. Oh, okay. And I'll, I'll, I'll bring a picture of my... Uh, my grandfather looking down from above, he would, he would very much uh, be in your corner. (laughs) I was going to make the joke. We were going to ask you your favorite Ryan, but instead (laughs) of that, we were going to ask you one, one thing made in Ohio that you didn't, that people wouldn't know. Oh, Um, there's a big pork rind. Um, company in Lima. Uh, So everyone associates Lima with our Jeep, like they still make tanks. It's like one of the few remaining tank. um, Like a Michael Dukakis tank? Like is that where Dukakis rode the tank? I don't think he rode it, but Trump came to the tank plant, the Lima tank plant. Yeah, that's what they... Oh, okay. Congressman Jordan um, represents Lima, but right down the road from it, there's like a refinery, and then they've got this pork rind. (laughs) As you can imagine, um... That's a, a thing. But Mike sells potato chips. Um, that was a big one in Ohio. I don't know if you guys care about the potato chip world. Um, well, we, have, we have hers in Pennsylvania, so nothing, nothing's uh, going to top oh, yeah. that. Actually, now that they... Don't we, don't we have Uts, too? We have Uts, too. Yeah, Pennsylvania, in addition to being... Everything, everything good is from PA. Chocolate, chips, pretzels, snack food capital of the world. Um, I don't know if it is or not, but I'm going to say it for purposes of the podcast. So it definitely is. That's a good one. Well, I'll I'll verify that. Well, we're going to make a lot of chips, you know, uh, computer chips in uh, central Ohio. And that's going to keep all your uh, electronics. And you can thank us for that in about 24 months. Well, you're you're talking computer chips. We're talking potato chips. So (laughs) (laughs) I would not. These are not edible, but they're going to. Very a lot of functionality in our chips. Yeah. Well, thanks, Katie. We do appreciate uh, appreciate our discussion today. Learning a little bit more about you and your background and what you do here at Dwayne Morris, and uh, we'll we'll let you get back to it. Okay. Thanks, thanks Katie. Guys, have a good day. Have a good weekend. And that was episode two with Katie Deland from Dwayne Morris Government Strategies. Again, this is your hosts Ryan Stevens and Ryan Demera. Also from DMGS, we really appreciate you guys tuning in. I thought we had an interesting conversation with Katie. Very excited for next week. Appreciate all you guys. Uh, Really hope you consider liking us on social media, Dwayne Morris Government Strategies. Check out our website, dmgs.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe to this podcast. Any, Any other closing words, Brian? No, I think you covered it. Thanks, everybody, for listening in. And we'll see you next time.
when we will be back in session. 